This is the Graybar Sports Open Line. Goes mid swings and he hits a drive. He hits a slammer. On America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Back at it into our second, our final hour of the program. No show tomorrow. We've got SLU basketball tomorrow starting at 5.30 for tip-off. That means our coverage will begin with Bob Ramsey and Earl Austin Jr. at 5.15. So we will uh, we will not have a show tomorrow. Although sports producer extraordinaire Matt Pajeski games at 5.30, there's a chance that that broadcast ends before 8 o'clock. Am I going to have to pop on for uh, you know two, three minutes, a, a three-minute edition of Sports Open Line? I don't think so. Well, maybe we'll see. Maybe we'll th- see. It'll be a long game, but rest assured there will be Brad Young in the house tomorrow night. Okay, so I, I will be ready to do that if need be. Uh, we did that one time. We had a um, last year. There was a spring training game. It was the the Cardinals and the Mets, and that game ended at like seven forty nine. And I did a four or five minute edition of Sports Open Line. You're a, you're a real trooper for sticking around good, for that. Good stuff right there. I'll be I'll be ready tomorrow. I, I had to laugh. Um, I didn't have the text line open in the first hour. Bad job by me. And I during uh, top of the hour news, I opened it up, and the top text message sitting there says, a lot wrong in those last two segments. Open up the window and let all the wrong out. And I went, what? What did I say? Then I noticed that text message was from much earlier in the day. I have no clue what it was in relation to, but I started um, I started getting worried about what in the world I could have said that was so terribly wrong in the last two segments, and uh, I think I'm in the I'm in the clear. Usually, there's many things. You're right. I'm not gonna not gonna run away from uh, not gonna run away from that one. We did. Uh, we found out something today that was pretty cool. Initially reported from the uh, Chicago Sun Times, uh, various St. Louis reporting has confirmed it. It has not yet been officially announced by the Blues, the Blackhawks, or the NHL. But the Blues are going to. Uh, all indications are that the Blues are going to be participating in the Winter Classic next year, and it's going to be at Wrigley Field. So the Blues have now. Once this happens, it'll be their third Winter Classic, and they've had a fair amount of success in it. They hosted the 2017 version of it at Bush Stadium, and they played the Blackhawks in that game. They then went to uh, Minnesota and played at Target Field back in uh, 2022 for a matchup against the Wild, and now they are going to head to Chicago. Blues have been pretty good. They've won each of their two Winter Classic games. Chicago, this is going to be their fifth Winter Classic, and it's going to be the second one that they host at Wrigley Field. They also hosted the Red Wings uh, at Wrigley Field back in 2009. And just the way it should be, the Blackhawks have never won a Winter Classic game. They have played in four of them, and they have four losses next to their name in Winter Classic games, where the Blues have won each of theirs. So that's uh, that's good news. Yeah, the, the Winter Classic... I think it's lost some of its, um, the buzz that goes along with it, the mystique, the aura, all that. And yeah, you know, the NHL for a while they were doing a bunch more winter games. They were doing you know the the series of games, and I, I think they still do one uh, in, in Canada. But it felt like there was an oversaturation of the outdoor games. They're starting to pull back on this a little bit. It's it's tough because when it was a new thing it did kind of have its spot on the sports calendar and you knew every year on New Year's Day that you'd have the outdoor game. But when you think New Year's Day sports, you think college football. And as the novelty of the Winter Classic started to wear off, 
it felt like it kind of fell back a little bit and everybody was once again just paying attention to college football. Now, a few times it's been run on January 2nd. I always, whenever things are going on that I think are cool, but that not enough people are paying attention to, my initial thought is how do you fix it? Because if something's cool, I want everybody to be able to experience it. That's that's one of my big, that's why I lament the way that baseball is not promoted nationally. And I know that baseball has largely turned in to a regional sport, but baseball is horrendous. Baseball is horrible at promoting their stars. There are so many incredible baseball players, top of the world baseball players that would not be recognized in most cities. And we can't say that about the NBA. We can't say that even about the NFL. And NFL players wear helmets. You don't even see them when they're playing. So I I always lament the fact that I think baseball does a terrible job of promoting the players. And then you get a World Series like we had this past year that didn't really have name brand teams and there were some really good players involved, but they weren't, you know, brand name players for, for lack of a better term. And people, there was just so many people who really didn't care. And that's a bummer because that was, that was a fun group of players that were participating in the world series. So it's, it's not a total apples to apples comparison. I'm sort of stretching in how I'm making the, the analogy here, but I, I lament on baseball's behalf that more people don't get to see the cool stuff baseball wise and St. Louis is a, is an outlier on it obviously we're we're a baseball town uh, a lot of times i'm kind of lamenting on behalf of other cities here it is in the for the NHL these outdoor games are really cool the outdoor games are really cool the winter classic is really cool and it's just kind of gotten lost in the sports landscape i in some ways I don't want to say the NHL is at a crossroads. They're not. They're not at crossroads. They're fine. Attendance across the league is great. TV ratings are what they're what they're always uh, going to be. It's it's good that they're back involved in ESPN. Although being on ESPN now is different than being on ESPN uh, years ago. Uh, the the Turner Group does a nice job with their game each week. That studio crew that they've got on Turner uh, is is pretty solid. They're fun to watch. There's a lot of good things going on, but it feels like the NHL is still reaching for their audience and figuring out what that audience is going to be and trying to figure out how to grow the game and grow the audience. And it's a, it's a battle they've been fighting really since they left ESPN the first time, since that moment, the, the stature of the NHL dropped a little bit and it ebbs and flows. Generally playoff ratings are pretty darn good. Most people, most sports fans out there, whether you're a hockey fan or not, you can agree that the Stanley Cup playoffs are just a, a fantastic thing to be tuned in for. The NHL hasn't been able to grab the people that tune in for the playoffs and get them to uh, to tune in during the regular season to get them to tune in for a random Wednesday night game or Thursday night game that happens to be nationally televised, something like that. They just haven't been able to to get that. And I don't I don't totally know what the answer is at this point in time. I do think that doing the Winter Classic and making sure that classic rivalries are involved in the Winter Classic is important. Blues-Blackhawks, that is a classic NHL rivalry. 
get it on there for uh, to to make sure. Like there's a handful of those type of rivalries that exist in the NHL. Having that as part of your uh, your Winter Classic, that's probably that's probably a good thing. Uh, I, I don't know. Do they do they look at January second or do they look at December? You know. 30th or 31st. I don't know. Do they, do they take it off of new year's day because you just know that you're not going to be able to beat college football on that day. And you, and you put it somewhere close to that where you've still got the holiday period going on. You've still got people who are sitting on their couches and watching TV and doing those sort of things. That's the, that's the audience that you want. But all that being said, the bottom line is it's pretty darn cool that the event continues to take place. And I know a lot of people in St. Louis, a lot of blues fans are going to find their way into Chicago next year and are going to go to Wrigley Field and are going to watch themselves a hockey game, and that's going to be a very, very cool experience. So uh, good to see this, that this is going to happen. Glad that the Blues are going to be involved once again. When we return, we are going to be joined by uh, Daniel Kaplan, sports business reporter with uh, Front Office Sports. A lot going on with the NFL from an off-field perspective, especially connected to some comments that Roger Goodell has made and the way the press conference, the annual Super Bowl press conference, was held this year. We'll get into all of that with Daniel Kaplan in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. We roll on with the Graybar Sports Open Line right here on KMOX. Back at it on a gray bar sports open line right here on KMOX. My name is Matt Pauley, taking you until 8 o'clock this evening. Very happy to welcome in right now via the Quiver River Electric guest line. He is a uh, business uh, sports reporter. Uh, you read a lot of his content right now over at uh, Front Office Sports, and that's a that's a great group. If you don't read Front Office Sports and frontofficesports.com, uh, they're relatively new to the scene, but they are doing a uh, fantastic job covering uh, the business side of sports and much going on. Something that Daniel's been doing for a really long time. He's Daniel Kaplan. He joins us right now. Daniel, appreciate you taking the time with us today. How are you? I'm happy to be here. I'm great. So the um, there's a lot of Roger Goodell stuff going on. I don't even know where to begin, and you've written uh, extensively about it. Let's start with some comments that he made in a deposition not that long ago, and the deposition just got unsealed here recently, and he was basically saying that there's still no clear evidence between concussions and brain damage, something that I think most doctors out there do have clear evidence on. Now, to be fair to him, he's not saying that right now, but he was saying it fairly recently, and that seemingly has opened up a lot of eyes or ears. The the deposition transcript, it came came out recently, but it was from mid-2022 when the deposition occurred. It was in an an insurance case. These insurers don't want to cover the concussion settlement uh, that the league struck with the former players in 2016. Uh, And he was was asked about the connection between head injuries and concussions. And the reason is the insurers say there isn't a connection. And, you know, to be fair to them, uh, you you can make the argument that smoking doesn't cause cancer. Scientifically, it, it is not 100%. Now, every, there's a consensus of opinion it does, and it has been that way for a long time. And that's the way concussions and head injuries are going. But so it's, it's, it's a crutch to say there's no scientific evidence because all the evidence suggests that it, it does cause long-term damage. Uh, but that, that, was, that was Roger Goodell's response in that deposition. It's some of the other people in the NFL 
basically went down a different path. It, just reading your article, it really felt like not everybody in the league office was on the same page on that one. No, I mean, and John Mara, the co-owner of the New York Giants, said it, it does, you know, the evidence certainly suggests that. I mean, it, you can you can say almost about anything scientifically, there's not enough scientific evidence, whether it's COVID or or smoking, uh, there'll always be disagreement among scientists. The question is, when, when consensus forms, and I it, generally consensus has formed that repetitive head injuries, mild traumatic brain injuries, lead to can lead to uh, you know conditions like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, dementia later later in life, and that, that's why the the concussion settlement covers those those maladies. To the credit of the NFL, they've allowed players to choose the helmets they, that they want to go with. There's there's more doctors that are looking down. Players are being pulled out of games when there's a concussion. You've got the, the concussion injured list and, and all those sort of things. Do you feel like the NFL has done enough, or is there still a ways to go to make the sport as safe as it can possibly be while still at the same time being the game of football? Well, there's always going to be injuries, but the NFL has co- – Look, they have come come a long way with their con- concussion protocols, and actually, they don't let the players choose any helmet they want. The helmets have to meet safety standards that the NFL has has uh, structured with its uh, helmet engineers. And Roger Goodell said something that was quite interesting at his press conference on Monday. He said, "By ne- next season, there'll be eight position-specific helmets. These are helmets that are designed to prevent concussions for specific positions. To give an example, the quarterback with the the, the hit that causes a concussion for the quarterback most often is when he gets tackled and he, is, and he goes straight backwards and his head, back of his head slams against the turf. So the quarterback-specific helmet has more padding back there than a typical helmet would. And so if you're an offensive or defensive lineman, the front of the helmet needs to be more padded because that's where the hits come come in. So that that is something the NFL is, is doing is, is helping seed the funding – see the development of position-specific helmets. We're talking with uh, Daniel Kaplan, sports business reporter. The 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 press conference that he normally holds, it's been moved over the last few years, but this year it was moved to Monday, and select journalists were given invitations to attend it. It was not as large as it's been in the past. A lot of the journalists out there that have not been kind to the NFL or you know kind of sympathetic were were not invited. That has to be done on purpose. Is is the NFL purposely right now trying to keep certain reporters and certain journalists out of things like that where they might be asking Roger Goodell tough questions? Well, it doesn't seem like it. They are. Um, they didn't – Don Van Atta, uh, the reporter for ESPN, who's broken a whole bunch of stories that have embarrassed the NFL. Mike Florio of Pro Football Talk, he, you know, he criticizes the NFL frequently. He wasn't invited, although uh, an employee of his company did – attend the the event uh, typically for the listeners uh, the the annual press conference at the super bowl is held in the cavernous ballroom the commissioner stands up on a stage in front of a podium there, there might there might be seven eight hundred people in there some of the media some of them league empl- employees some of them league sponsors partners it's a big it's a big big event on monday it was held in the lakers the lakers the raiders locker room and there was maybe 150 people there, t- tops. 
And it, it was interesting because I, I wrote this morning that it was the most relaxed I've seen Roger Goodell at any of these events. He clearly likes that that format. Somebody like a, a Jim Trotter was not there, and I know there was a, a Kansas City-based reporter that asked a question about uh, the lack of uh, people of color working at NFL Network and in various positions. And it was good that that question was asked, and Trotter has asked that question multiple years, and he used to work there, and now he doesn't work there anymore. Is there is there a feeling amongst NFL journalists, though, that if you start asking those type of questions, you might be left off the invite list for next year? Well, I, the Trotter situation has led to a lawsuit, litigation. Trotter is suing uh, the NFL over his uh, – I don't want to say dismissal. They simply didn't renew his, his contract. Uh, he works for The Athletic now. And so I, in some ways I can understand why they didn't invite him because he's suing them and what, what, how they respond to a question from him could be used, could be used in the case. Um, but I, I, I've always felt the NFL has treated reporters fairly and doesn't hold a grudge. I was surprised to learn that they excluded certain reporters from this press conference. So that may be something to watch going forward, that if you ask hard questions or write hard stories, they could exclude you. I I hope that's not where it's going, but it's something to be concerned about. Uh, just one other thing for you before we uh, before we get you out of here. This is some uh, breaking news of the last uh, few hours. We have learned that ESPN, Fox, and Warner Brothers Discovery, they are planning to come together. They're going to join, have a, a joint sports streaming platform. That's uh, We don't know all the details, but it would appear that the different properties that they've got on their various channels would all be involved in this thing. Uh, we've seen a lot of streaming services come and go. We've seen a lot of them stick around but not be able to gain traction from a sports standpoint. How do you evaluate the prospects of something like this working? Well, it's a land, it's really a landmark deal. I mean, Fox Sports does not stream sports. Um, they, they, this is a major move by Fox. They they stayed out of the streaming wars, and the the, the the current model of streaming is just unsustainable. These streaming outlets like ESPN Plus, uh, Max Plus, Paramount Plus, Peacock, they lose billions of dollars. In uh, in while the losses have come down, the, the, they remain they they are just unsustainable. So maybe by pooling resources and creating a bundle, that 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 could be the way to go. My question though is, how is this going to work? I mean, if you subscribe to if you subscribe to this, you're not going to subscribe to a direct to consumer ESPN that they're talking about. Do you, do you, in, do you drop linear or there's just so many questions about it. The pricing. It, if you the, the pricing of this is going to have to be quite substantial. I would imagine it's going to be at least fifty or sixty dollars a month, if not more. If you do that, are you going to keep your linear television? If you have it, what about other subscriptions? There's just, there's just a lot of questions. But clearly, these these companies, Disney, Turner, Fox, have decided that they have to go together to make a go of it in the streaming wars, because otherwise, it's unsustainable. Yeah, the big question I have for it is. Is anything going to be on there that's proprietary to just that? Because if you have a cable subscription and you've got ESPN and you've got Fox and you've got Turner, then you're getting all these games. You probably don't want to subscribe to this service. But if all of a sudden they have a game of week that's only available on this service and it's $50 a month, that's where it starts to get kind of challenging. Yeah, I think this service, I mean, from what I gather, is is designed for those who have cut the cord but don't want to subscribe to all these different 
uh, service all these different platforms. And so you, you bundle it together. Uh, and it, if you cut the cord, you weren't getting Fox Sports anyway. So that, 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 that's, that's, that's a plus. I, I don't know, I mean, what it does for Peacock and Paramount Plus. They're on the outside looking in on this. Uh, if they if they want to form a bundle, join this bundle. That that that's certainly a, a question. Uh, but if you get if you get linear television, it wouldn't make any sense to get this bundle. It wasn't long ago that ABC, Fox, and NBC went in together to create Hulu, and then not long after that, the the, the three parties are fighting, and it becomes two parties. And uh, I, I still think there's a little bit of an issue on on when it's going to be 100% owned by Disney. But anytime competitors like this get in bed together, it feels like eventually there's issues are going to arise. Oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> there. There's no guarantee that this lasts more than a short period of time. But the, the fact is, the, the, these losses, I mean, you look at them, they're staggering. Billions of dollars a quarter, billions of dollars, billions and billions every year, these companies are losing on, the, on the, these streaming outlets, ESPN+, Plus, Peacock, Paramount+. Plus. So if something had to give, and this is the first concrete example that something is given, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Uh, he is uh, Daniel Kaplan. Uh, you follow him on Twitter at Kaplan Sports Biz. Right now you can read uh, a lot of what he's got going on uh, over at uh, Front Office Sports. Daniel, thank you so much for uh, the time. Enjoy Super Bowl week, and uh, hopefully we'll catch up with you again in the future. Great. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Very good. That is uh, Daniel Kaplan joining us here on the program. We're going to take another break. And uh, when we return, I mentioned earlier that there was a few things in that Ben Fredrickson uh, column that ran at STL today uh, today, uh, that I wanted to mention. One of them, uh, the possibility if there is a coaching change at SLU, a name that could end up there in the future. We'll get into that coming up in just a moment as we roll on with the Gray Bar Sports Open Line on KMOX. It's the Gray Bar Sports Open Line. Goes mid swings and he hits a drive. He hits a slammer. On America's Sports Voice, KMOX. We do continue on here on a Tuesday night again. Uh, no program tomorrow. Slew basketball. They've got uh, they've got an early start, as early of a start that they've had as far as evening games. They've played a, a few day games uh, this year, but in terms of an actual night game, tomorrow is about as uh, early of a night game as uh, they are going to have this year. It's going to be a 5.30 tip-off in Philadelphia against LaSalle, so that means our coverage tomorrow is going to begin at 5.15. I'll be honest with you. Um... You know, coaches and individuals losing their jobs as a part of sports, it's not something that I completely run away from, but it's also not something that I enjoy talking about because I don't enjoy talking about the idea of people losing their livelihoods. Uh, I just, I, I look at things from a human perspective. And most of these guys that, you know, who are coaches and are doing this, they're fine financially. They're fine for the rest of their lives. They've probably got generational type money, things like that. But it's just, it's not something I enjoy talking about. I did not get into sports radio to talk about people potentially losing their jobs. But it's part of sports, and we do have to discuss it at times. And we would be naive to say, that the seat is not warm right now for Travis Ford, the SLU men's basketball coach. And this isn't anything that he doesn't know. Look, they're 8-14. and 14. They're 1-8 and eight in A-10 play. And they're coming off a very disappointing year last year. That's part of this. Seasons like this happen in college basketball. They just do. 
you're you're gonna run into these every once in a while. Just about every coach out there has a season like this outside of like the the Hall of Fame type coaches. These things happen. But when you had a season last year where expectations were as high for SLU basketball as they have been in a really, really long time, and you had a generational type player in Yuri Collins, and then you just you just don't perform well in league play and you don't play postseason basketball at all. That that's what warms up the seat. A, a an underachieving season last year, and then following that up with what's going on this year, the Billikens have to have a major turnaround and, and go on some sort of wild and crazy run to make this season look respectable. So that being said. Uh, again, I'm not trying to steal all my content today from uh, Ben Fredrickson, who had his uh, Ben Fred 5 earlier today at STL Today. But he had some really interesting things uh, that, he, that he wrote about today, and I, I certainly wanted to uh, discuss them. Again, you can read uh, his piece at STL Today. But a name that Ben threw out there as a possibility at SLU, if there is a coaching change, is Bruce Weber. And... Weber's in the St. Louis area. This is where he lives now. He's still involved in the game of basketball. He's doing TV and things like that. Uh, it it felt like his career as a college basketball coach might have ended when his time at Kansas State came to an end. And I'm a Kansas State grad. I always appreciated uh, Bruce for, for what he did at the end of his tenure. It did feel like it was probably time for a change at, at K-State, but that doesn't take anything away. From, from Coach Weber and what he is what he's been able to do throughout his career. He has won at a, at a high level in every situation he has ever been in. Uh, when you look at what he did at Southern Illinois, at Illinois, and also at Kansas State, even if it didn't end so well for him at K State, he had some he had some great teams and some 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 championship type teams uh, there at K State. So the idea of him, a guy who's already in St. Louis, Taking over at SLU if there's a coaching opening, that's a that's an interesting proposition. And I think the question he would need to ask himself, and I don't know if he's interested or not, uh, but again, based off what, what Ben wrote at STL today, today, it would sound like that it is something that he would at least have some interest in. I think the question for him is, can he stomach today's college basketball? Can he do it? He famously started growing out his hair when the FBI probe into college basketball started. And basically, at one point, he mentioned the fact that he was going to continue to grow it out until there were any actual consequences and punishment that came down as a result of it. And there has largely been no punishment. Certainly nothing more than a slap on the wrist. He is as good of a guy and as clean of a coach walking the face of the earth. And I think he kind of believes, not kind of, I think he does believe in the sanctimony of, uh, of, of college athletics, which is, which is very much changing. Yesterday, we spent time talking about the decision uh, from the National Labor Relations Board saying that Dartmouth basketball players would be able to unionize. We know what's going on with name, image, likeness. Uh, we know what's going on in transfer. The uh, a judge today said that the the lawsuit from 
Tennessee and Virginia when it comes to some name image likeness stuff. And there's other lawsuits out there going on with transfers that it seems like every time the NCAA tries to institute a rule, there's a reason to make it, find it to be unlawful and the courts are continuing to agree. And that is just making NCAA sports that much more of a wild, wild West. And I'm not even, I'm not upset about players getting theirs. You're a, you're a college athlete and you're producing lots of money for your university, go get paid. Hey, you're a college athlete and you've got a following on social media and a local business or a company out there wants to use you to promote their product, go get it. I I got no problem with that whatsoever, but it's a different world. It is a different world. So for a Bruce Weber, if he is in, if he's interested in the SLU job, and if the SLU job were to come open, I think that's the question he's got to ask himself: Can he stomach the world of college athletics as it sits right now? Because if he walks in there and doesn't embrace name, image, likeness, doesn't accept the fact that he's got to re-recruit his team on an annual basis. If he can't accept where we're at right now in terms of college athletics, I don't know if you win anywhere. It, it does anywhere, anywhere, like any D1 program. That's it was an Ivy League school, an Ivy League school. With all due respect to the to the smart people out east who are playing Ivy League basketball, and like Cornell this year is actually having a fantastic season. Cornell's a really, really good basketball team, and they're an Ivy League team. But to all the respect to what's going on in the Ivy League, if Ivy League athletes are sitting here saying, we want more, we want to unionize, we want to get paid, we want to determine how much practice time we get each week, we want to determine uh, the way that we travel from game to game, we want to uh, determine if we have to share hotel rooms or not, all the things that you could collectively bargain if you are a member of a union, if that's going on at Dartmouth, if that's going on in the Ivy League, then we haven't even scratched the surface on what's going to happen at bigger schools. And I'm talking everything from conferences like the Atlantic 10, like the Missouri Valley, up to obviously power conferences as well. So that's the thing that I question. He's 67 years old. There's a lot of guys out there coaching who are older than him. He is as good of a basketball coach. Like From an X's and O's standpoint, he's a great basketball coach. He's won everywhere. But if you've been through what he's been through and you've watched the game change and you've watched college athletics change and you've been fairly open about the fact that the way it's changing and some things that are going on have left a bad taste in your mouth, well, then it's not an easy decision. I That – if. If I if there is a coaching change and if Bruce shows uh, interest and he talks to the folks at SLU, if I was on the other side of the table looking at him, that's that's the avenue that I would want to go down in terms of my investigation. How locked in are you on embracing name image likeness? Are you are you able to stomach what college athletics has turned into? And if the answer is no 
then he's probably not going to compete, not because he's not a good basketball coach, but because it's changed. Now, if he can stomach that, if he can bring in a, an all-star coaching staff with him, and he's always had great coaches that have worked with him, he he always puts together a really good staff, and you can bring in you know a lot of the the, the heavy lifting from a recruiting standpoint and both recruiting your current team and and going out there and you know dealing with the NIL stuff that can be done largely with your assistant coaching staff but you do need to know what's going on in that area so that's something to watch but it was in I I read that today from Ben and I've got um I've got an affection from from for coach Weber just I don't know him personally at all but just watching him go about the way he has gone about his career and watch him coach and everything. I've always appreciated him, and like from a from a very personal kind of selfish standpoint, I I would love if that job came open. I'd love to see him get that job because it would give me an opportunity to to talk to him on occasion. Uh, but this is I, I don't think this is just an easy thing. Um, yeah, so um, we'll we'll see what ends up happening. First off, there'd have to be an opening, and there's no guarantee that's going to happen. You got to play through the season before you get to that point. Three one four four three six seventy nine hundred. That's our number to call and text. You can tweet at me at Matt Pauley on air. M A T T P A U L E Y on air. We'll take a break and have just a little bit more in a moment. We roll on. It's Graybar Sports Open Line on KMOX. This is America's Sports Voice. KMOX. is the best receptacle for barbecues, tailgates, fairs, and festivals. And you, sir, this is one of my favorite Toby Keith songs. A little red solo cup action. Part of what makes me, I, like, it's a fun song, but my wife hates it. My this is, And she likes Toby Keith, but this is, uh, this is without a doubt one of her least favorite, maybe not just least favorite Toby Keith songs. It might be one of her least favorite songs, period. So anytime there's a song that I really like, and my wife does not like because I'm good at annoying people. I enjoy being able to uh, to play. One of my greatest joys as a father is finding songs that my wife does not especially like and playing them where my daughter then likes them. So then it's a little two against one action on, on that one, which is uh, which is good. We found out yesterday that Toby Keith had uh, passed away. We just... Man, it, it feels like every week somebody is passing away unexpectedly. Uh, Toby Keith was a um, was a big Oklahoma fan, and I met him once. I was I was uh, I was working in country music, and he was doing a show in Kansas. And actually, I remember this show really well because Blake Shelton was opening up for him, which is funny when you think about that, about Blake Shelton opening up for somebody. But that's where we were at. It was probably 04, 05, somewhere, somewhere in there. And I got the chance to uh, to meet him, uh, which was really fun. But my favorite, and I hope this doesn't sound mean-spirited because it certainly is not, but it's one of my favorite Toby Keith stories. I was covering a K-State-Oklahoma Big 12 championship game uh, played in uh, Kansas City at Arrowhead Stadium. It was a game that K-State won 35-7. Darren Sproles just absolutely went off in that game for K-State. It's one of my favorite games uh, that I've ever been able to attend. And I'm covering the game in the press box, and the press box at Arrowhead 
is jam-packed with people. So you have everybody sitting like in the in the normal like sit-down chairs where they're like desk in front of you, but then they brought up stools that were behind all those spots for even more overhead. So for some people it, covering the game, you were stuck sitting on a stool behind where everybody else was sitting. So somehow, some way, I guess because he's Toby Keith and he's a huge Oklahoma fan, Toby Keith gets himself a press credential or gets himself into the press box somehow. And he gets a primo seat. He's front and center. And it's like, I'm sitting on this little stool going, this guy doesn't cover anything. Well, what's what's Toby Keith doing? And then the decorum of a press box is that you stay quiet. There's no cheering. So Toby Keith is in the middle of the press box, Arrowhead Stadium, and he is rooting hard for Oklahoma. He is clapping. He's yelling. He's going crazy. It's kind of uncomfortable because it's a uh, it's a very quiet environment. And K-State gets up big, and all of a sudden it's halftime. And what do you see? Not Toby Keith. He wasn't there anymore. He left after I'm sure he got into a suite or something somewhere else. Uh, but that's uh, it was just kind of funny to see Toby Keith in the in a working press box and then he went away when his team was not doing so well that's it for the show dave simons with at your service next here on kmox